So when I'm able to stay connected to my body and what I know that I need is right for me through being able to stay connected to my heart and not up in my head of trying to solve problems all the time, that allows me to have to put in way less effort and be five times more efficient. Hello and welcome to the Winners Find Away Show. I am your host, Trent Clark. Welcome to another fabulous show with the genie, Ian Loggy. That's it. That right? Let's go. Ian Loggy. Man, Ian's got a tough name. Irish German name, which I love. South Dakota grad. Ian, talk to me quickly. You study finance, analyst, want to go into the professional world of finance. But man, you're a high quality football player in a Division One AA program, which only the few of the few and the proud out of a one AA get a chance at the NFL. You pursue that dream with Kansas City and New Orleans. And in that pursuit, you somewhat find yourself out of the analyst world and pursuing your passions in this world. Walk me through that time in your life at that 22, 23-year-old stage. Yeah, so football was a closed door for me. I had a neck injury to where I could never play again. So that was moved on to my past. And shortly after I got the news I'd never play again, I came to the reality that I'd have to do exactly what I went to school for. And once that reality set in, I realized that that was not what I wanted to do. And I only wanted to do what I wanted to do, separate from what I thought might make me money. So naturally, playing football, which is something I love to do, I said, what's the next thing that I really want to do? And I picked up a book called The Biology of Belief by a guy named Bruce Lipton. It talks about being able to manufacture your own heaven on earth. And I thought that was pretty cool. So from then on, I dove headfirst into what it looked like from a scientific standpoint of how to manufacture my own heaven on earth and wanted to help other people do the same. So that takes me down a path of the wild journey of the last six years of my life. Uh, but if you'd like to go into that, we can. Well, great. We're going to do that. Let's do first, let's talk a little bit. First, tell everybody where they can find you on the Winners Find Away show. They listen to these guests. Hey, sometimes people don't know the genie is a household name yet, which is awesome. They will. But when they first hear about you, tell them where they can find you, Kian. You can find me on Instagram at OfficialKian and on Facebook, Kian Loggy. If you want to check our website out, it's KianLoggy.com. It's awesome. So let's talk. We're both Midwest kids. You know, a couple of things we talked about offline was growing up in the Midwest. I remember coaching with a guy in professional sports and... He was, he was a manager of a lot of teams and he'd seen a lot of ball players come and go. And he was like, man, those Midwest kids, man, they always just kind of got it figured out, you know? <laughs> and I just thought like, man, it really struck me. Like, why would he say that? Like, what is it? And so as I'm kind of doing this audit of excellence, right, that's going on in the pro game and why people are being successful. And this, this immediately intrigues me, right? Because we have this melting pot, as you know, in the NFL, I guess everybody just comes together from every different environment of all time, right? And baseball is very international too. So now layer on languages and third world countries and all sorts of things. And we talked a little bit about growing up in the Midwest and the four seasons and the cold and learning to work and getting humbled by not just other people, but the elements and like what you're involved in. Walk me through how you discovered that value inside you. Cause you living in Miami is a very different value system than South Dakota. Is that fair? That's, that's not only fair. That's an absolute truth in yeah. every single way. But I think that's what made it so intriguing for me. 
I didn't know it at the time, but I think my soul was desiring to experience more than what I had experienced and to establish a different part of myself that I didn't have the opportunity to establish while living in South Dakota. So I think the contrast actually is what drove me here and has allowed me to capitalize on a lot of the opportunities that I've been able to due to having the background that I've had. Yeah, I think that's big. I, what I have found is that, you know, as I travel around the world and coach athletes and people from all over, the Midwest values are just kind of really steady, right? You know, family's a big thing and it's important and it's grounded and that's grounded in humility because the moment you're a big deal, a big brother like Kian will, you know, get you in your place and make sure that you know you're not that big of a deal yet, right? And so you got to keep I, I don't think so. Okay. I say I don't think so because I think one of the central things that many people in the Midwest have a difficult time doing is really seeing themselves as a big deal. I think there's a lot of very hardworking people mm. that know how to be the underdog and know how to work very hard. But then when it comes down to being able to put themselves out there in a way where they can positively speak about themselves, they don't really do that because we're taught to not be arrogant. We're taught to not be cocky. And ultimately, yeah. I think the absence of self-promotion is where a lot of people from the Midwest can go wrong. We learn how to be very good at what we do and become very valuable. But then when it comes down to being able to speak about ourselves in that way, we can fall short. So yeah. oftentimes it feel like with people from the Midwest, it's more me giving them permission to be fully as they are and to express themselves fully as they are in all of their talent, in all of their excellence and not trying to get them to chill it out, but allow them to say, Hey, I'm the fucking man. I'm the best at what I do. And to not feel bad about that or feel wrong for others perceiving him or them as arrogant. Yeah. I think that's an interesting insight of the Midwest, right? Because I can remember I'm the youngest of four and the genie here, Kian, is the oldest of four. So we have that dynamic that's a little bit reversed. And so I can remember, you know, I was excelling in sports a lot because I was playing with my big brother, six and four years older. So like when I was 12 and I started playing with kids my age, I'm like, how, how easy is this? <laughs> like I've been playing with 18 and 16 year olds, you know, like this is nothing, right? And so that led to a little bit of arrogance, I think that led to uh, me thinking like, hey, I'm kind of something and I remember one day shooting baskets in my lawn, my driveway, sitting out the back of my house. And my dad had a den off the back of the house and spring and summer, he'd have the doors open and he'd hear us, you know, chatting, which also was another little value. There was always ears in the Midwest about you want to run your mouth about something or bad language or bad intent. There was always someone listening like, and you heard that, like you had to mind your P's and Q's, right? And I think I was probably being a little braggadocious of the game the night before, scored a few goals in the hockey game and blah, blah, blah. And man, my dad, he, I came in and my dad sat me down and just said, hey, listen, I heard you outside. And I said, oh, yeah, Ben was over, blah, blah, blah. We're just shooting some hoop. And he's like, yeah, sounds like you're talking a lot about yourself. And I was like, well, I mean, we were just talking about the game. He goes, well, sounded really braggadocious to me. He goes, I want to be clear, if you're good, you don't need to talk about yourself. Everybody will know. So I highly think and believe you should keep your mouth shut. And I was like, yes, sir. Like, I'm not going to be talking anymore, you know? Like, And so, you know, now you paradigm shift to, you know, for me, 40 years later, right? And it's like, oh, hey, promote yourself and talk about yourself. And I was like, yeah, I learned that was bad. From the very beginning, I learned you don't it's talk It's ingrained into our DNA from that region. Yep. And I think maybe part of it's the hockey thing, right? Keen, I don't know if you grew up in South Dakota playing hockey, but man, in hockey, like if you get too big for your britches, someone will set you straight in a hurry, right? Like 
they will level you either off your blades or they will level you with the gloves off, right? Yeah, because here's the thing. People in the Midwest, there's nothing else to worry about. So people worry about people. Yeah. Whereas you get to the coast in these bigger cities, man, nobody cares. Are you running your mouth? It's like, okay, well, I have other shit I need to do. Like I have other priorities I have to focus on. Yeah. The Midwest, it's not all towns are small or cities are small, but they're generally much more based on seeing what everybody else is doing because there's just not other things to do. And so naturally the crab in the bucket effect tends to happen because there's not as much going on and people aren't as focused on their own lives so they can focus on other people's. That's an interesting concept. And I do think it is people driven, right? It's relationship driven from church to everything that we're doing. We're we're going in groups. Everyone's attached to something, which has probably even grown more since I was a kid. And I don't remember like having so many opportunities for sports that kids have now, right? Like we got bowling teams, we got bass fishing teams. I'm like, holy crap. Like, I don't remember seeing all that when I was a kid. There's like three sports and that was it. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a very different deal where we've really become tribal and we go into those people we really want to be around. Yes. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with this tribal essence that we hold in the Midwest. But when you're suppressing who you truly desire to be to fit in with the group, then that's an issue. I think most people in the Midwest, they'll settle for the tribe that they were put into or the people that they were surrounded with instead of understanding who they really are and being able to make a decision from there as to who they surround themselves with and what they decide to do. So there's not a lot of acceptance of diving into a deeper level of individuality amongst the people there. I think that's where people can get stuck in tribes that they're not inherently created for, which causes a lot of internal chaos. So you can go through the process, which I would say that's what I did leaving South Dakota, moving to Miami of deconstructing who the tribe taught me to be, who the tribe thought I should be. It allowed me to understand who I really want to be separate from who I was or who I grew up as, which then has allowed me to be able to now associate with tribes that are truly aligned with me, not just what I grew up with. Okay. So why are you called the genie, Kian? Because I grant people's wishes. People come to me <laughs> when they when they have wishes or they have desires that they'd like fulfilled, and I, I help them get those things. Yeah. So you've been coaching now for over five years, been traveling the world, Zoom, you know, that's a factor of the last five worlds of how we work, right? Of the last five years. So you've been interacting with males that are high achievers, you know, top five percenters, right? And they're looking to do something that they believe they can do. They're not sure. So they call the genie and say, hey, I got this wish. This is what I'm going for. And you're going to help them get there. Well, yes. But initially, I'll figure out if it's actually their desire or if it's their programming or their tribal desire. And that's very important to do. Most of the time, when we truly understand what we want, separate from our programming, we're able to adequately pursue it. But if we're pursuing something, not because it's what we truly want in our heart of hearts, but because it's what we've been taught to want to go after, right? If I would have went into the finance world because my dad was in that world and I just thought it was going to be good to make money, I don't know how good I would have been at it. I don't know how much drive I would have actually had to be the absolute best at it. So the first thing I do is I connect them with their deeper sense of desire separate from what their brain says that they want. So I have to first clear everything out. I got to clear out all the programming associated with who they thought they needed to be then I can help them get clear about who they really want to be. Now, sometimes they are connected to themselves and they are aware and we go into that desire and we end up getting it for them because it is truly a desire they have on their heart. But oftentimes I find that some of these desires that these men have aren't truly what they want. And so I first have to get them in touch with that space of their heart, which is 
truth. You know, I think a lot of high achievers, you know, do it because they're so gifted and everyone's programmed to do it. They saw it early that, wow, you're really talented at this. And and the guy who instantly came to my mind as you talked about that was a guy named Andre Agassi, right? Longtime tennis player, one of the best in the world, top of the game for just ever fan favorite. And then, you know, at the end, life happens, it gets mucky, it's, it's kind of ugly. And he does a tell-all book, right? Where he talks about the trials and the fact like, this is what everybody programmed me. I never wanted that. In fact, I hate the sport. And you're <laughs> like, whoa, what are, you, what are you talking about? You hate the sport? You're like the best ambassador ever, right? And it's like come full circle. Like this guy's got to find out and reprogram because coming back and finding joy in it all and the journey and the process, he was able to do through a lot of work. And I, I give the guy a big, you know, tip of the cap and honor that, that he figured that out. But, you know, for years, you know, this is what the outside sees. The outside sees this, oh, everything's great. You're a high achiever. You're awesome. And internally, people are dying. Yeah. And I think, Inside all high achievers, I would absolutely consider myself one and not one that has been built, but one that was born. Nobody ever had to teach me how to work hard. Nobody ever had to push me to go after anything. I was doing push-ups when I was in second grade because I wanted to do them. And I knew it was going to get me to what I wanted. So I had a very, I think I was very gifted in, in that regard, very young. That was more inherently built into me rather than learn. But when we know as high achievers, we're capable of getting whatever we want. Sometimes it can be more about getting that thing rather than being the right thing. And so it can be an incredible gift, I would say for me personally, to know that my capacity is unreal. But oftentimes because my capacity is unreal, there's so many options and so much possibility that it's difficult to really hone in on one. Now I've done that and I'm very good at that now, but if I don't know truly what I want, then I'll go after something whether that be a relationship, whether that be a career that isn't really aligned to me and I'll be really good at it, but won't really bring me the fulfillment that I want. So mm. you could be a lot of really good at a lot of things as a high achiever, but ultimately if it's not connected to your heart, then the fulfillment that you get from the success will not be lasting. Unlock the full potential with your business with leadershipity. Our proven strategies have fueled growth for countless organizations. Ready to elevate your leadership and scale your success? Book your free 15-minute consultation now. Click the link in the show notes below and let's make your business soar. And this kind of brings me to like, you know, the one thing that most people don't know about you, right, Kian, is that you're this 6'3", 235, you know, football star in college. You know, you're built like a house and work hard at it. You're a go high driven, high achiever. Yet gooey in the middle, man, soft center. Like you're a soft guy who's got a soft heart for people and would rather spend time in that vulnerability and soft side sometimes than in some of the harder go, go, go world of overachievement. Absolutely. It feels good to, to dance in both. I think in order for me to be a better high achiever, I have to be able to dance in both. I don't get burnout because of my ability to be able to dance in both. I'm very connected to my body and what I know that I need, which allows me to be much more, have better endurance than the majority of high achievers that just run on go mode all the time, which is actually incredibly inefficient in multiple ways. But by being able to stay connected to that slower, 
more loving, compassionate, present part of myself. I'm able to be in tune with the 20% of the things that are actually contributing to the bottom line of my success. And so while many high achievers think they're making good headway by doing things all of the time, what they fail to realize is that 80% of the activities that they're partaking in aren't actually contributing to their bottom line. So when I'm able to stay connected to my body and what I know that I need is right for me through being able to stay connected to my heart and not up in my head of trying to solve problems all the time, that allows me to have to put in way less effort and be five times more efficient. Excellent. So where do you think you developed that soft center? Man, that's a great question. I don't know. I could say it's from my family. Like I said, my family dynamic is very close. I go back maybe two or three times a year, but my family is and always has been incredibly supportive of me. My parents are the happiest couple that I've ever seen. They've always demonstrated a lot of love. We didn't have very much material wealth at all when I was younger, but we did have a lot of love and that was what we leaned on to be able to get us through whatever it was. So I could contribute my family dynamic to a lot of that. And I'd like to. Yeah. So that's also one of these things that like now as a young adult, you know, on your way to, you know, some relationship, probably family, certainly, certainly something you want to repeat. Let's talk for a sec about your parents. I mean, I don't think most people have that in their lives. I don't think most people have like self-described my parents, the happiest couple I know, right? Like, like that's pretty impressive, like of a way to describe like parents. And I had great parents, man. And I was blessed too. And my father passed a few years ago and, you know, my mom after 57 years of marriage, you know, it's like, whoa, like life's different. Right. And just like that. And so that, that becomes so long that do you even remember when you weren't married, you know, it's, it's clearly double the time of prior to that. So over two thirds of your lifetime to this point has been in this relationship. So it's a bunch of mosh up of a lot of things, right? Good and bad and mostly good, but it's not perfect, right? Everything's not going to be ideal as I'm sure your parents challenged when the finances aren't there, but you know, we, we stay focused on what's important. I think people are missing this. And I think we've gone away from having that, that top line support for kids and seeing it every day. Yeah. I mean, it was, and still is incredibly important in my life. And I attribute a lot of my success to the love and support that I've received, not only from my parents, but from my extended family outside of that. And so you say it's not very common. Well, on my mom's side of the family, it's very common. There's three other relationships. My mom had four sisters. There's five of the girls, three of the relationships are just like my parents. It's unreal. So I've had the opportunity to be able to be surrounded by that. Then naturally, my grandpa got to the NFL. He never played, but he got there. So there's a lot of support from my, that family as well, coming to all my games. So I received a lot of support. And I, I, like I said, attribute a lot of my success to that. At the same time, there's a certain level of golden handcuffs that can happen when there is a lot of support. And now maybe a lot of people can't resonate with this, but this is my experience. So I'm going to share it. Sure. In that when there is a lot of support, Naturally, whether that be at work from coworkers or bosses or through your immediate family, there can be a certain expectation to do what is best for the tribe and not what the individual really wants and desires. So having all the support was very important for me to be able to get to where I was. But at the same time, part of the reason I had to leave was because I had to get away from the support. I had to be able to function without it. And the real world operates in a way that doesn't care about supporting it right? The real world won't support you in the way your family does. And so by me getting away from some of that support, 
it allowed me to establish a deeper level of independence. I had to, I had to separate from that. Support. And so people that have never had that level of support, maybe it's a little more difficult to get off the ground, but they've had to build up a certain level of confidence within themselves because they never got it externally. So with every positive, there's a negative. With every negative, there's a positive. Sure. Right. And so through being able to separate from some of that support, I was able to gain a better understanding, not of what was going to allow me to get support from my family, but what actions I truly wanted to do. And so I think people in the Midwest maybe could have some elements of that if they do have a good, healthy family dynamic, which I'd say in the Midwest generally has much more than what happens on the coast. There could be this expectation to have to do something that the family wants instead of what the individual wants. And so by breaking away from that, it allowed me to be able to feel more fulfilled in what I'm doing. While also my parents not always agreeing with all the choices that I make, so I've done some pretty wild stuff in my life. In the end of the day, they still end up supporting me, and I found that I still received the same amount of love, which allowed me to see that their love wasn't actually contingent. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I would probably equate it back. You know, just thinking through a little bit of the Midwest, you know, I think like in the early days, you know, Midwest is about farming, it's about the land, it's about production, certainly about religion. And man, like the tribal concept is, is that the land feeds us, the land is important, not us. We have to till the land, treat the land, you know, care for the land, and it cares for us. And we have to care for the church and the church, right? So, you know, I think what's probably unique about the Midwest more so than some other areas is that it's just really not about you, man. I mean, if you're of a very early age, you realize there's a lot going on and it's not about you. And so I think that's a little different because this, this era today, kids are getting caught up pretty early that, man, it's all about what I want when I want it. And it's a little terrifying to tell you the truth, Ken. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely can be. And naturally based on survival, our parents had to operate in that way. Yeah, Most of our parents had to work their asses off to be able to survive. Whereas now there's, there's generally amongst the population much more abundance that exists. So now because there's more safety and more abundance for the general population, we now have the ability to be able to think outside of what's happening right in front of us. Yeah. And so naturally with that comes a little more individuality. And yeah. I don't think that's a good thing or whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess I suppose it doesn't matter. That's the way that our world is moving. The question is, is, well, how do you thrive with being able to operate fully as an individual and being disconnected from the whole, which I think many people found during COVID is not the most fulfilling thing. Yeah. So the tough part about knowing that possibility is limitless and that we can do whatever we want is having to actually choose what it is that we want when the time comes. And I would say yeah. for me personally, having the mind that is my mind that's incredibly expansive and understanding I can do whatever I want, I can be wherever I want, being able to choose the things that I do decide to commit to and want to commit to. And I think that Midwest mentality of understanding, okay, it is important for me to eventually commit in one way or another to a career, a relationship, a group of people. And so the end goal isn't extreme independence, but to be able to understand myself fully to know what handcuffs I want to put on myself that will allow me to find the most fulfillment. I think one of the challenges, as you say, is this dynamic moves to less of the group mentality and the team of survival and the individuality moves. You know, the system's not set up well for individuality, right? Like we have to make decisions and 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 follow follow laws for the greater good. Like we make things that are in place for the majority. It's not going to be for everybody, but if it fits the majority, we should all follow in that. And so, and then all of a sudden now we have individuality who says, I don't want to follow that. And it's like, Ooh, 
you know, that, that makes hard for a team environment, man. Like, I mean, as you know, you know, playing defense and being a defensive captain and, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to run a 4-3 defense. And I was like, you know what? I'm not running that. Like, I'm dropping into the nickel because, you know, I feel like they may go deep and I may just have to play, you know, center field on this thing, you know, Ken. So I'm not doing that. Like, third and one, man. <laughs> like, uh, we're packing it up, man. Like, and like no, no, I want to do what I want to do. And like, you're going to have to watch from the sidelines because you can't be on the team if we can't get on the same thing. And so the challenge in this is that as these achievers that you're working with, you know, there's a new dynamic as a leader. And they, and my assumption is, and, and I want you to clarify for me, if they're really looking for this big achievement, this big wish, my guess is that probably 99% of those wishes are going to involve other people, their company, their families, their, someone else is going to be involved in that wish and they're going to need some alignment around that. And my concern, I guess, Kian, is, is how do we keep it in alignment? What's your definition of alignment? When you say keep it in alignment, what does that mean? Yeah, I think my definition of alignment would be, you know, having a central top line direction and that with within those parameters, with a lot of looseness around that, right, is that we're all going to move in that direction for the greater good. So there is a central theme, and this is really easy to define in, in teams, Kian, right? Like, because we could say, hey, our goal is to win the 1AA you know, national championship, right? And South Dakota has certainly been in that hunt you know, for a number of times. And so have they won one, by the way? No, they we moved okay. to Division One, I think, 10 years ago. But no, we haven't. Okay, okay. so if, if that's the goal and everyone's moved that, we've all got a bunch of ideas about how that might look. And we've got a bunch of experiences that may lend itself to us as a team getting there. And my idea may be not as good as your idea. And so being open to the ideas of what we can do as a team and as a unit to get there is awesome. But I think when we're out of alignment, it's individuals taking matters into their own hands of what they think best is not willing to follow towards that greater goal. Even when the tribe has decided this is how we will do it at this point, we can change. But today, this is how we're doing it. I don't agree with that way. I'm going to do it my way. And yes. I think the individuality in that state kind of steps out, out of bounds, and they're not acting within the lines of the playing field anymore. That's, yeah, I think, I, out of alignment. Yeah, okay. Thank you for explaining that. What makes an incredible coach is one's ability to be able to see who fits into the scheme that they have already created. Yeah. Okay, that's what makes an incredible coach, at least in the recruiting process part of it. And I want to use that as an example with comparing to my clients or the individuals that I work with. Mm -hmm. If a coach doesn't know what type of defense he wants to run or an offense that he wants to run, he won't be able to adequately choose which players he needs. So he'll focus on things outside of what that individual role needs. So if a coach isn't clear about the, the positions that he needs filled and the attributes associated with each of those positions, then naturally yeah. he's going to bring people in that don't fit those roles and he's going to experience it problems. That's not the problems of the players. That's the problem of the coach. Agreed. So as an individual, to be able to create your own heaven on earth, you have to be able to fully understand the offense, the defense that you want to run, and which players will fit perfectly within those roles and what attributes it takes to be able to allow those players to fit within those roles. Yeah. But if you're creating an offense and a defense out of the programming that you've had, that your parents or your upbringing taught you was the best offense or defense – you're still stuck in the in the maybe 1980s, then you can't adequately recruit the players that you need because you don't have the conviction associated with the offensive defense that you're running. The conviction that comes with being able to get the players that you want 
is the belief in the direction that you're moving. And if the direction that you're moving isn't truly from that deeper place of your heart, then you're not going to be able to get the team together that really is adequate to fulfill the vision that you ultimately have, which is to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that, so we're, we're often missing that communication, right? We're, you know, that may be in somebody's mind. Because nobody they may have they an idea of it. No, nobody has any idea what they want anymore because we're exposed to a million different forms of stimuli all the yeah. time. I can have yeah. an idea of what I want. And then I get on my phone and I see Tom on a vacation in Paris. But, oh, fuck, I want Tom. what Tom has. And then that idea of what they want just goes out the window, right? So yeah. teams yeah. aren't being properly formed anymore because nobody knows their role. Nobody yeah. knows who they are. So we can't create an organization because everybody has ultimate ability to do whatever they want, but at the expense of knowing who they really are. Mm. Yeah. I think that's where, you know, I see a lot of organizations, you know, they stumble, right? They're not communicating. And in fairness, the individual who's now acting out of bounds may just be acting because they're not communicated with properly. They just think maybe they think this is their role. Maybe they think this is their best idea. And no one said, hey, this is not what we're going for. This is the type of offense we need to run. This is what your role is inside that offense. This is exactly what I need from you. This is what success looks like in your role. And I don't see a lot of that happening. As, as you know, Kian, in your work, uh, yes. it's it's a huge challenge for leadership. And you know, what we say at Leadershipity is you know, there's a lot of organizations that are being run that need a lot of leadership and a lot of coaching. And Nobody went to school for leadership and coaching. <laughs> and it's like, hey, man, this stuff's going to happen. You got all this organization. You got to coach these people into your alignment, what you're going for. And they're like, well, you know, I, I, how do you coach somebody? And I'm like, you know, you're playing from behind already. And you're going to need some help like now. Because if the leaders don't understand this, chaos will just prevail, right? Like this is not going to be great. Absolutely. Tell me. Why males? You are directly working with high achieving males. And I asked that, and this, this, you'll love this, kid. I asked that because in, in leadershipity, at one point, we had almost 70% of our clients were female CEOs. And of course, I'm going back like I always do, going, how did all these women? find us? Like, why did they choose us? And so now I'm back on the horn, you know, reviewing the tapes, right, Kian? Hey, why did we win? Who did you, why did you call us? Who did you call first? Who who referred you? You know, well, women don't generally things. have as big of egos. That's right. Yeah. Which is why we're getting called because they want to develop and the males don't want to hear that I'm not good at coaching and I'm not good at leadership. Even it may be true, but I don't want to hear it. And I'm not likely to like pick up the phone and all of a sudden start doing something about it. And the women are going, Hey, I want to develop not only me, but I want to develop my team members because they're more tribal. Right. And they're like, bring everybody in and let's all get the advantage of Kian's understanding and his experience. And he's going to help us all get better. And they're very inclusive in that way, which is how I think we got to that 70% number. Yeah, naturally, for sure. And well, I don't know. I don't know if it's natural because you work with these male high achievers and I've got a lot of them around me. Right. Um, no, it is natural. And I've gone through seasons where I have only worked with women as well. So I've gone through seasons where I've worked with men and women. I've gone through seasons where I've worked only with women. And so yes. this recent season, I would say the last eight months, has been just men. Okay. And so you step into this focus. What's your purpose and intent of going after these male achievers and becoming their genie? 
I've noticed that, at least my own personal understanding of this, is that women, because of their more tribal nature, are generally followers in a relationship. If I can focus on the men who are in charge of creating a good reflection, right? A woman is naturally a reflection to a man in a relationship. Not to say she doesn't have any autonomy, but in general, a woman's behavior is reflective of the man that she's following. If I can focus on those men, then I'll indirectly be able to focus on the women. So if I can create stronger men, I do believe men are inherently to be the leaders of a society. Now, I might get crushed underneath that because somebody might say, oh, it's a patriarchy, blah, 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 all this. All the women that talk that way, secretly behind that, want a man that's capable of loving them and leading them in a way that God would really want them to, where the man's not taking it for granted, but fully operating as God intended him to as the leader of that dynamic. So if I can work with the people that I believe are inherently supposed to lead and help them be able to be as optimal of leaders as possible, then as a byproduct, I'm able to influence everybody else. And if I can help these men be able to not operate fully from a place of serving whatever it is that their programming says that they should get, I can help them get beyond themselves and be able to have more empathy and understanding for what it's truly going to take to help them build the team around them that they really want. And how to sustain it as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting, right? I mean, I think going to the source of influence, and I don't, people can talk about that may feel disingenuous to women, but, you know, I'm in the entrepreneurization. I know that over 80% of all males are CEOs and they own companies over a million dollars. It's not a matter of, it should be different. It's a matter of truth (laughs) because that's the statistics on it, right? It's just stats. And I can, give a whole host of reasons of why that happens, right? And and my wife's a good example, has a nice small business, has zero desire to build a scalable multi-million dollar company, right? She's like, I help people uh, learn Latin and I have a nice little online system and that's cool. But she doesn't want to be the provider. She doesn't want to be, she wants to focus her attention on a lot of other things and business is not certainly her only focus, right? Um, This dynamic that you speak of is very interesting to me as you talk about kind of God's purpose as I've been through tons of counseling. I'm an abuse kid and a lot of counseling, just getting relationships right because I don't think relationships are easy. And, you know, I can recall, you know, recently as my wife and I were struggling in a good relationship with one another, communicating well, and she's certainly not seeing my commitment level that I've had in the past towards the relationship, whether I'm distracted by my work or the other kids or whatever it is, doesn't matter. And as my counselor said, hey, how's your relationship with the higher power? How's your relationship with God? Because I think your wife is reflecting that same relationship in your life. And I thought, ooh, it's about as lukewarm as my relationship is with my wife, right? So I've got this lukewarm toe in the water, kind of going about and going through the motions and kind of exactly what I'm doing in my faith life, right? So I'm looking at this thing, frustrated in this relationship. And he's like, yeah, I think God's looking at you the same way. And I was like, dang, man, nothing like a punch to the nose, right? And I'm like, wake up and smell the coffee, Trent. Like, but that was hard to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And that often can be the case where it is right person, wrong perspective, But oftentimes what I find, especially now in today's world, what's very, very important is understanding who we are so we can understand what we truly desire in a partner. And so sometimes there's 
this that happens a lot in a partnership between a man and a woman. And it isn't just the fact that there's a lack of connection with God on the man's part, but that he didn't adequately understand himself in a way to know what he wanted. So maybe he wasn't that inspired to pour into that person because he didn't choose that person out of a place of what he truly desired from a place of what he thought might fulfill something within him. Mm. And I think understanding who we are as men and our value systems for how we want to live our lives and the direction that we want to take our lives and to be adequately moving towards those things, that's a very important part of the process before we choose who we want to have as the person that's going to be the primary influence in our lives. So that should not be taken lightly. And one of the first steps that I believe men need to take is understanding themselves fully so they can understand where a woman can fit into their life so they can choose a woman that they will pour fully into and love them as God loves us. How did, when you get in these wishes of your male achievers, how much, I mean, just on a percentage base, we talked a little bit about 80, 20, you know, on the workload, how much, if you were to ballpark this out of a percentage is relationships are going to be a key element to getting your wish fulfilled. How you interact with other people. And there's a lot of them. Uh, we're just talking about spouses quickly and significant others. But there's a lot of relationships. How important is that in your work? 90%. And, and honestly, a good majority of the work that I do is through our interaction, teaching them how to have a healthy dynamic with somebody else, where it's not just a transactional experience, but where there's capacity for an authentic interaction. Now, it's not to say that there's not things that I want and there's things that they want. And naturally, we're in that container because they want what I have. And I want a different form of currency back from them. But I teach them how to be able to have genuine, authentic relationships. And I think that's something I've always been very good at is being able to have those genuine relationships. That's not ever that's never been an issue in my life. So yeah. being able to help them navigate that space through our interaction, through the way I show up and the boundaries that I set and the way that I speak to them, It allows for them to learn as a byproduct of osmosis, not only through going back and forth with me, but through the things that we talk about. When we talk about your list of clients that have come along and they're going for this thing they wish for, once you you kind of really clear with clarity stated that we have to get really focused that they actually are moving towards what they want because sometimes the first request isn't actually what they want. And that's the danger of like, Ooh, I just went to the top of the mountain and I got it. And then I looked over and I was like, Oh, I was supposed to be on that mountain over there. This is the wrong mountain. That's what I want. Like that's a long way back down and up. Right. So, and I've seen it that depends. happen a lot. Yeah. yeah it, it depends. Call in the helicopter and get her lift. No, I, I, they have to tumble all the way down. They can either go slowly, timidly down or they can tumble. And when I say tumble, I'd say that's a metaphor for giving them permission to go in and experience all of the hurt, pain, guilt, shame that they've used to mask what they truly want. So oftentimes high achievers are underdogs as well. And that underdog mentality can come from a level of deceit from people at a younger age or from people that thought they couldn't do it or trying to prove somebody wrong. And so I have to go in and I have to help them feel all that pain that they're actually feeling that they're masking with improvement. So if I can be that person that will prove those people wrong, then I can now feel good about myself. Or we could just feel the pain associated with the disapproval of those people. And through that, there's a lot of emotion that's experienced. And that's a tumbling down the mountain. But if they give themselves permission to go into the hurt and pain and fully experience all that emotion, then we can get to the bottom faster so they can get to the top of the next one quicker. And But the cool part about it is 
is that there's a lot of skills that people learn in the process of getting to the top of that first mountain. Yeah. That mountain that they that they decided to climb, Andre Agassi, for example, right? The yeah. tennis mountain. I'm sure he used a lot of the skills that he learned from getting to the top of that industry to be able to take him to the top of whatever really lit his heart up next. Yeah. So it's not to say that it's all for nothing. It's just to say that if you want to feel the most fulfillment possible, then naturally you're going to have to probably do the thing that lights your heart up. Yeah. But at the same yeah, time, right. to tumble down to the bottom, you still have a ton of skills that you learned to get to the top of that mountain. Yeah, I think that's part of the athletic experience that I don't know that everybody gets conditioned for through life. It's there. In sports, they make you feel that pain, right? <laughs> they they reintroduce the pain again and they reintroduce. And so you're like, oh my gosh, you're either going to learn or you're going to win or learn, right? And so, and you get conditioned to it. You get conditioned to review the tapes. You get You get permission, by the way, to lean into the pain. And it's not always even you know requested it's almost required and so that's a skill set that i don't know that athletes always understand like hey i've done this pain exchange and i know exactly how to use that in the future because it's a massive skill and andre agassi is a good example pouring into a school for underprivileged kids in las vegas he has an incredible campus what a heart for you know doing something for somebody else and he's taken all those skills and those relationships and and what helped him get there and you know the guy's you know unstoppable so let's talk quickly about what's rearing its head with folks when you have people that are they're already calling you like i, I doubt low achievers or people on the fence of whether they've ever done anything are, are calling you they have already had some wishes come true and they've kind of saved this one up right and now they got the genie bottle and they're like oh i'm gonna rub it and here we go man keen's gonna help me get there right and this is gonna be you know what i've been dreaming about and they likely have achieved some things but what what do you see or maybe one or two things that's consistently rearing its head that are roadblocks or hurdles on the way to their achievement that you're just seeing regularly with these? Well, there's, there's levels to everything and there's certain operating systems that come at each level. And if you try to use certain mental models of thinking to get to a level you've never been to, then naturally you're going to have issues with being able to plow through the ceiling. So I want to make it more about the practical rather than very deep and that what got you here won't get you there. That's a very common phrase. Yeah. And so it's not as much that they're completely messing everything up. A lot of the guys that get to me, they've had some level of understanding of who they are and what they want. But their issue is, is that they're trying to be the same person or do the same things that got them to where they are to get them to the next level. And so like any life cycle of a business, you can use the underdog mentality to be able to get yourself to float. But then the mentality that comes with being able to build on top of a solid foundation is very different. And then once you've developed a business that's thriving and doing well, being able to sustain it and thrive even more is a different operating system. And so really it's more about being able to help them get very clear about where they are in their process and where they want to be and be able to bridge the gap between the operating system mentally that they're currently using and shifting it into a different operating system that ultimately allows them to get what they want. So it's one to two degree shifts that I help them do that aren't life-changing, but ultimately in the long run, you're at a one degree shift ends up being quite a bit different than where they were. Yeah. I love that. There's an analogy that if you take off in a plane in LA and you're one degree off going to New York, you land in DC. So like 
that's a long way from New York City. <laughs> like you, you were not on drive, but yet it's just fractional offline at the beginning, right? And so by the time you get there, that is not going to get you where you want to. If there's a, there's a lot of challenge out there right now, a lot of push on. It's harder than it was before. It feels like more roadblocks. It feels like it's just a lot less alignment. If you knew, you know, someone's going through challenges right now, Ken. Do you have a couple things that you think someone needs to step up and and do right away that's really important to get back online, to get back moving towards a positive direction? If you're someone that's constantly consuming content, which oftentimes are the people that come to me, so I'll speak to to those people. They're people that are very driven to become the best version of themselves. So naturally, they're consuming content all the time and in different ways of how they can improve themselves or be better. I would tell those people to stop consuming content for an extended period of time. I'd say stop it. Get really clear about who you are when you're not consuming information. Because it's very easy to take on the thoughts and opinions of other people when people are very good at speaking that you're consuming information from. And so if you can get away from the consumption of content, you can get more clear about what you want. And in today's world, it's a superpower. People that are able to separate themselves from the collective cloud that's operating in front of us are the people that are able to thrive because they're able to actually understand what they want. Whereas most people are running around like squirrels going from one thing to another because the local influencer that they follow tells them that they should want that. Okay. So if you can get really quiet in regards to the inputs that are coming in on you for a week or two, that will help you get much more clear about what it is that you want. And during that time, I'd recommend doing a lot of journaling and speaking out your thoughts into a recording. But that's what I would say right now in today's world is, those that are willing to separate from the pack or the influences that are being imposed upon them are the ones that are able to have more conviction in who they are, what they want, because they're able to actually get clear about that because they create the space for it. I love that. I think that's great advice. And from a guy, I really appreciate that personally. I mean, there's a lot of news out there, man. <laughs> a lot of different Unreal. noise. Unreal how much noise now. And these talking heads are just always ever present until leave behind the units that they show up in right so that's great stuff man all right the genie kian loggy thank you for joining us on the winners find a way show last thing kian is there something that you have like a quote when you're challenged when things are a little rough for you do you have something in your life that you read something that levels you that kind of gets you back on center center point and gets you moving back on that line yeah, there's two things that I do. The first thing is when I'm feeling out of alignment with myself is oftentimes it's because I'm avoiding a certain emotion. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I give myself permission to just sit. And I'm like, oh, I'm really out of whack right now. Oh, I feel like things aren't moving in the right direction. Oh, I feel like things aren't flowing. I'll just sit. And oftentimes there's an emotion that comes up that I have been avoiding. So if I give myself permission to go into the emotion, I will literally get into bed and I'll spend an hour just intentionally letting myself experience that emotion. It's phenomenal. I'm a big badass that is very successful. And at the same time, I understand the benefit associated with allowing myself to feel what I'm actually experiencing. Because if I can feel it, then I can move on from it. Then I stop doing things that are associated with trying to get away from the feeling, which is oftentimes what a lot of men do. So I'll go into the feeling and let myself experience it. I'll cry. I'll be angry. I'll let myself be unconditionally expressive in that space. And then normally that reveals a certain level of clarity as the gunk is cleared, as I allow myself to experience that emotion. Second thing that I'll do is after I do that 
and I feel like I'd like to get some greater level of guidance after I purge myself of the emotion that's causing me to do things that aren't maybe what are in alignment for my better good, I will call the support system of the people that I have around me. So I know there's people that I've put into my life, the team that I've created for myself that are good in different arenas of life. And so depending on whatever it is I feel like I'm not in alignment with or not able to understand, I will reach out to those people and be vulnerable in where I'm at and what I would like from them. So I have an ability to be able to be acutely aware of the issue that I have after I allow myself to experience the emotion and what I need as a byproduct. And then normally those people are able to give me, those men are able to give me the practical understanding I need to be able to move on from it. Or if it's not those men, it's me going out of my way to research like a madman to be able to understand more about what I'm not understanding in my life. So yeah, I I had the third one, which is giving myself permission to go all the way in on putting my pride aside and learning from other people until I get it right. Okay. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, I've heard this come up a lot with some of my folks and high achievers is that that's come up more times than I expected actually on 2024 goals is give myself permission and humbly check my ego at the door to learn from other people. And, and I think they're recognizing that it's my ego that's kind of stuck, right? It's like, yeah, hey, I've done some things and here I come in to give some answers, some solutions, and maybe I got to start learning more from other people and not be the first solution provider. And well, it's very so efficient. It's so inefficient. Yeah. Like that's yeah. how I look at it. Like operating in that way is just incredibly inefficient. If you want to continue to get better or feel the way that you feel and the successes that you had, you have to operate in this way. So it's just very unintelligent actually to operate in the way. But that doesn't mean I can't at the same time say I'm the best coach in the world. I can confidently say I am the best in the world at what I do and be open to becoming better. I think that's what yeah. the sweet spot is. I think most people yeah. come from one end of the spectrum or the other. They either come from a way of, we'll say the coasts, right? The Miami, Los Angeles mentality of on oh, the shit, doesn't matter how valuable I actually am. I am valuable just because I say I am. They could probably learn how to be able to embody a little bit more of the value-based operating, learning how to become valuable, not just present themselves as being that. And the Midwest mentality coming full circle, which is let me just get really valuable and be incredibly humble. And now I need to learn how to be able to speak about myself in a way that's true. And so I think I'm a beautiful combination of both. I can sit here and say, I truly believe I'm the best in the world at what I do. And also, as we get off this call, be willing to be wrong about something that I've spoken about. Yeah. It's all right. You know, it's a dance. It's a little bit, right? All right. So for everybody else, Kian, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, so fun on the Winners Find a Way show, always to talk in depth about these challenging things and thankful for Kian his time. Kian was a last minute replacement. So very super thankful that he could jump on and move schedules around to get the genie on because that's not easy. So we all got blessed today. And for everybody Tune in, Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, live LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and then on all your major podcasting networks. So check us out. And until next time, winners do find a way. And I am looking to being unconditionally expressive. I thought that was pretty great, man. Unconditionally expressive. I, I gotta, I'm going to find that in myself and I look for my emotion. So cool. Thanks, everybody. Join us next time. Thanks, John. Organizations come to me all the time with challenges of execution and communication with their teams. We help build a system through Bloom Growth and software that gives them simplification and prioritization. I teach, facilitate, and coach these organizations to literally double 
their value. If you're interested in gaining your individual and organizational growth, please email me at trent at leadershipity.com or click the link below and book a 15-minute call on my Calendly.